0: Luke chapter 1. We'll start out in Luke 1, and then we'll head back to the Old Testament here in a couple of minutes. And then we'll be back into the New Testament in a few minutes as well. So, our sermon series throughout Advent has been focused around looking at how some of the Old, not some of them, but all of the Old Testament covenants and how they have prepared the way for the arrival of Jesus, the Advent. It's a little bit of a different sermon series that, that we have this year for Advent. But we've looked at these Old Testament covenants. We started out with the, the covenant God made with Noah. And then we looked at the covenant God made with Abraham. We looked at the covenant that God made with Moses. Robert Barton did a great job of leading us through it last week. And now today we look at the final covenant that God made back in the Old Testament. But how these Old Testament covenants were all steps in preparation For the arrival of Jesus. The arrival of this moment here in Luke chapter 1. Starting down in verse 31. Let's look at this together. A familiar story in the church when we think about the arrival of Jesus. This is what the angel said to Mary. And behold, you will conceive in your womb. And bear a son and you shall call him or call his name Jesus. Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him, here's the key part, the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom there will be no end. Now, this moment in the Christmas story Is telling us so much about what God came to accomplish, right? So two quick things. Number one, if you're a huge fan of the Christmas song, Mary, Did You Know? Some of you are, right? Um, That could be the shortest Christmas song in the history of Christmas songs. Because according to this verse right here, her answer would be yes. To that question, I knew. I I, I knew because God just proclaimed to her, right? I'm feeling feisty this morning, guys. It's going to be fun. Secondly, and more importantly, more importantly, we know that this morning, as we learn about the covenant that God made with David, that the angel spoke to Mary about, this is what it's going to tell us, and this is our focus this morning, up on the screen for you. This covenant here is going to tell us that God's covenant with David shows us the grandeur, the grandeur of who Jesus is. And the brilliance of what he came to accomplish. As we unpack this covenant this morning and how it prepared the way for Jesus' arrival, it's gonna tell us so much about the grandeur of who Jesus is and the brilliance of what he came to accomplish. So let's dig in together. If we'll go back to the Old Testament, 2 Samuel chapter 7 this morning. 2 Samuel chapter 7, this is where we find the covenant that God made with David. As you're turning to 2 Samuel chapter 7, I want you to consider for a moment. Church, when we think about David from the Bible, from the Old Testament, King David, when we think about him, like what comes to mind? When we think about David, do we think about David and Goliath? Maybe. When we think about David, do we think about that famous line about his life, he was a man after God's own heart? Maybe. Maybe. When we think about David, do we think about David and Bathsheba? When we think about David, do we think about the guy who wrote 77 of the 150 Psalms in your Bible? We know that David grew up in the household of Jesse. That was his father. We know that David was young. And at a young age, he was given a a, um, a responsibility within his family to be a shepherd over the sheep. We hear that, and we think, oh, that's really nice. Here's this little animated shepherd boy, right, out with the sheep. He's a cartoon character. Well, here's the problem with that. The problem is, is that being a shepherd, that was the low, lowest position that you can have of any responsibility in your family to tend the sheep. So here's a guy that is kind of in a lowly position, lowly, and, and he's also a very humble young man, but he's given the responsibility that nobody else wanted, to tend the sheep. We know that later on, the last judge of Israel, his name was Samuel, and God spoke through Samuel to proclaim that David, of all people, David, would become the next king of Israel. The problem with that, there's already an existing king, his name was Saul. He was not humble of heart. He was actually prideful, arrogant, and extremely jealous when he heard the news that Samuel had proclaimed that there would be a king that would take over for Saul. We know that Saul chases David for a number of years trying to kill David. But we also know that Saul is ultimately killed in battle. And David is anointed as king of Israel. At the age of 30, David becomes king. And from 30 until 70, he reigned as king of Israel. And it was during that time in his kingship that God approaches David through, speaking through David's good friend, Nathan. And this is the time that God makes a covenant with King David. 2 Samuel chapter 7, starting out in verse 11 together. We're going to start in the middle of the verse Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will rise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body. Here's the key part. And I will establish his kingdom. So now God begins to speak this language and terminology back to David through Nathan that there would be a kingdom that would be established. Verse 13, He shall build a house for your name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. David had a long, long desire to take what was the tabernacle where God would dwell among his people and build a permanent home where God's presence would dwell. That would be the temple. That does happen through the reign of David's son Solomon. That's when the first temple is built here. But you notice that God says, I'm going to establish a throne that's going to go much longer than just the temple. It's going to be a throne that will reign forever. Verse 14. And I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. Here's the covenant that God makes with David. Verse 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So what was the covenant that God establishes with King David? What was it? Up on the screen for you here. This was simply the covenant that God made That through the line of David, God will establish a kingship that will last forever. Through the line, the family of David, God was going to establish a kingship that would last well beyond David, well beyond Solomon, but would last forever. It's actually interesting because in chapter 7 here, eight times God emphasizes the fact that he will establish this kingdom forever. Forever. We talked a few weeks ago that in the ancient times, there were two types of covenants that were made. The first one was called the Parity Covenant. And that covenant simply was an agreement, a pact that was made between two equal parties. A Parity Covenant. A good example of this in the Old Testament is when Abraham pulls his servant aside, and he has a conversation with his servant, and they make a covenant together. That his servant would go out and find a son for Abraham's, or excuse me, find a wife for Abraham's son Isaac. The fulfillment of that covenant was Rebecca. But they were two equal parties. In the ancient times, there's a second type of covenant, which has a really interesting name, and we had fun with it a few weeks ago. It's called the suzerain vassal. The suzerain vassal, and that was a, it, it was not an agreement. And a contract between two equal parties, it was a contract between a greater party and a lesser party. Meaning this, the greater party, the suzerain, and then the lesser party, the vassal. That's the type of covenant that God made with David. The God of the universe, who is not David's equal. Remember even David said at one point, I gaze up to the sky and look at the stars. And remember, he wondered in amazement, who am I? That God would even know me. The greater, David the lesser. That weight settled in with David throughout his lifetime. Once he heard that God made a covenant with him, the greater made a covenant with me that he would actually establish a kingdom through my family, not just for a few generations, but actually forever, like that began to set in. That had some bite. That had some teeth for David. And it wasn't something that he forgot. If you go to the last words that David shares in 2 Samuel chapter 23, these are the last words that we have from King David. This covenant is still on his mind. In 2 Samuel chapter 23 verse 5, this is what David says. For does not my house stand with God? For he has made with me an everlasting, help me out, an everlasting what? Covenant. Ordered in all things and secure. At age 70, David is facing death and he knows it, and what is on his mind? The fact that God said, I'm, I promise to establish a kingship forever that will come through your family. Think that meant something to this man? It did, but here's the key thing, church. We know how it was fulfilled. He had no clue. He's just simply holding on to the promise that God made him. And it meant something to him. So when Kara and I were newlyweds, um, we received, you know, several, as all married people do, right, several wedding gifts. And one of the wedding gifts kind of was a wedding gift above all wedding gifts for me personally. It was a grill. All right? So this was. There, there, were, uh, there were wedding gifts. Grateful for them. There was the grill, which I was extremely excited about. So we go after our honeymoon. We come back. And after we come back, I'm excited to put this grill together. So it happened to be that Kara's mom and dad had come back to town, and they were staying with us for, for a week. And so we decided that, you know what, let's have a little um, father-in-law, son-in-law bonding time. So Kara's dad and I agreed that, hey, let's put this grill together. Before I go any further in this story, though, I have a question for you. How many of you are like diehard hard I love instructions. I always read the instruction manual. I, I'm, you're an instruction person. Like, come on, just be, be proud. Like, no no shame, okay, no shame at all. You're following the rules by putting your hand up there. That's good, okay? Now, how many of you are like, instructions, optional, overrated? Okay, all the prideful people? Yes, right there, okay, yes. So here's the problem. I married a rule follower, for me, I fall into the camp of instructions, overrated, optional, Don't, not interested at all. Problem was, my father-in-law was the same way. So we sat down, we, look at the, we put all the parts out for this grill, we started to put it together. Hours, hours later, ne- by the way, never got the instruction manual out. Never even looked at it. Hours later, we came to the conclusion, two grown men came to the conclusion that the grill company shorted us some parts and the grill company gave us some extra parts that we actually don't need. We could not get this grill together as the instruction manual set in the box. So our conclusion was not, well, maybe we should actually look at the instructions. We decided we have one option and one option only. Here it is. Let's go to Lowe's. Like we're going to get some the parts that the company shorted us. So we load up in the car, we go to Lowe's, we get a little sidetracked, spent a little too long in Lowe's, looking around, get the parts that we thought that we needed, we come back home. Walk out into the backyard. The grill is put together. Who put it together? Kara. Kara put the grill together. True story. My manhood was stripped at that moment, by the way absolutely stripped but what did she do we went to Lowe's fully believing they shorted us parts they gave us extra parts we go buy these parts she pulled out the instruction manual she simply read it and she put the thing together by the way today is her birthday she's serving in grace kids right now if you see her this morning wish her happy birthday all right ladies you'll appreciate this my wife was absolutely right she was right there you go ladies you can have that one okay she was right for doing this. And she stripped my manhood away. <laughs> Just kidding. But if you looked at that finished product, a grill put together, and it was it was a great grill for many years I had that thing. But if you looked at the finished product and you ignored all the steps that it took to put that together, then you really don't get how good and great and nice that actually grill is. You don't. I I fear this. We simply look at Jesus in the New Testament. We hear about him in sermons. We go through Bible studies, read books, read our own Bible hopefully. We learn about him, but we miss the steps that God intentionally took. These covenants were steps of preparation to lead us to understand The grandeur of who Jesus is and the absolute brilliance of what he came to accomplish. We read this about David. This was a giant part of God's preparation for Jesus to come. And when God the greater speaks to David the lesser and says, I'm establishing my kingdom through you, David. In other words, there is a true and better king who's coming. Far better than you, David. And is not just going to come and have a small reign as king. He's establishing his kingship now and also has a futuristic part of it too and forever. And he's ruling over this thing. That is why David, in his last words, that's why he's talking about this. That's why apparently it was on the forefront of his mind and not just David in the Old Testament. When you go to Isaiah the prophet, in Isaiah chapter 9, one of the most famous passages around the Christmas season that we preach on, even Isaiah was proclaiming this in Isaiah chapter 9. Let's look at this together. This is what Isaiah proclaims. He says, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. This is a prophecy about Jesus. Jesus. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We know that part is proclaiming some of the titles that Jesus would embody. But do you know verse 7? Do you know verse 7? It's proclaimed about Jesus. We'll go to verse 7 here. Of the increase of his government and the peace, end of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of who? Help me out, church. David. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. 750 years before Jesus arrived in Bethlehem. This was at the forefront of a guy named Isaiah. And then you get to the arrival of Jesus. Think about what Matthew proclaims and how he starts his gospel. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the very first thing. He's laying out the genealogy of Jesus when Matthew says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of Jesus. David, the son of Abraham. This is David's way of proclaiming to the Jews, Jesus is the fulfillment of the covenant that was proclaimed to David. I'm showing you that Jesus comes through the lineage of David. That's how he wants to make his opening statement to his readers. And in one way he's saying the true and better king is here. Where do we start this morning? The angel appears to Mary. Think about these words once again. When the angel said to Mary, skip down to verse 32. And he, Jesus, will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him, here it is, the throne of his father David. He will give to Jesus Jesus. The throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob, how long? Forever. Forever in his kingdom, there will be no end. The angel is saying to Mary at that point, the king has arrived. Mary, the one that God proclaimed to David, pregnant with him the fulfillment of that covenant with david that god made with david you're carrying this baby right now in your womb and jesus has a lot to say about the fact that he is the king the fulfillment of this covenant and that he is known as a king that he is here and he has established his kingdom he will come back to fully establish it as well but you think about Matthew chapter 6 that he proclaimed, seek first the kingdom. This is a priority for him to be king. It's a priority in his, in his life. It's a priority in our lives as well as believers. It should be. He proclaimed in Matthew chapter 13 a number of parables that teach us about his kingdom, what his kingdom's about, but it also teaches much about him as a king. Mark chapter 10 that Jesus teaches about those who don't receive the kingdom and what they forfeit in their life by not receiving the kingdom that he came to extend. And then you get to Matt or Revelation chapter 19. You get to the end of things. And what is proclaimed about Jesus? He is the king of kings. It's his title. So what does all this mean from David's covenant All the way to Jesus being known as king of kings. What does that mean? It means this. The king is here. It means that the king has established his kingship here. It means that one day he will come back and fully establish his kingship and kingdom for all of eternity. It means that he completely and perfectly fulfills the covenant, the promise that was made to David. So, I have one question, church. One question for us to ponder on today. One question that I think we need to wrestle with. Here's the question You may know Jesus as a Savior, and praise God if you do. But do you know Jesus as a King? You may know Him as a Savior. But do you know him as a king? Everything that was just proclaimed through the word before or to us as a church is proclaiming him as a king. Do you know him as a king? Because here's my fear. My fear as we live in the buckle of the Bible Belt of East Texas. I fear that we miss knowing him as a king because we've made him more as a hobby. Have we made him simply a hobby? Or do we know him as a king? Think about your hobbies. Hobbies are good. But they're not everything. When it comes to a season for a hobby, we get real excited about it, and then that season ends, and then we put it on the shelf. Jesus is a king, he's not a hobby. He's not somebody that we just get really excited about for a season of our life, and then we just kind of put him on the shelf. And then when we enter into really hard times in life, we try to pull him off the shelf because we really need him at that point. He's a king, he's not a hobby. He's your king. He's my king. His desire is not to be known as a hobby in our lives. We should never treat him as that. He is the king of all kings. He is not a hobby. He's the king of everything. He's not a hobby. The last thing that you and I need in life and death is not a hobby. We need a king. We need a king. That Jesus the King conquered our sin, our complete brokenness. Everything that is wrong within us, He conquered that. He's not a hobby, He has offered us redemption. Like how beautiful is redemption? How good and sweet and profound is redemption in Christ? King Jesus accomplished that. He's not a hobby. He's invited you and I into his life to have life now, but have life eternal as well. He's not a hobby. He's given you righteousness in an unrighteous world. That's what King Jesus gives you. He's not a hobby. He is the gospel, the good news. He's not a hobby. And as we celebrate Christmas and Advent, we light these candles. I just want to proclaim that he, King Jesus is the ultimate giver of joy The ultimate giver of peace. The ultimate giver of hope. The ultimate giver of love. He's not a hobby. He is not a hobby. He is not a hobby. He is is king. Church, praise God that he's king. I'm blown away. I'm thankful. I hope you are too. That Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of what God promised David. His kingdom is here. He is ruling as king. And he forever will be king. And he has invited you in to know him as king. Not a hobby. Let's pray together. Church, let's take some time just to spend with the King, King Jesus. Maybe right now it's a time for you of just gratitude and thanksgiving for who He is as King. Or maybe it's a time right now of confession, repentance. Lord, I've treated you as a hobby of late. Spend some time with him. And if you don't know him as Savior or as King, as always, we would love to start a conversation with you and talk more about this after the service. You can approach any of us here. Spend some time with the King.